this week is uh, just thinking back on some of what I shared last week out of uh, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Verse 16, very familiar. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. And that word led there, it literally means to be led by accompanying one into a place. (laughs) So he said, if we're led, if we're accompanied by the Spirit into a place, we're not under the law. So as I was, I was thinking about that, and I talked about last week about um, the power of being a part of a family that lives this. The power of being a part of a family that loves, just like it says, but through love, serve one another. And I shared that that word serve there, it literally means to be a slave to one another, to serve uh, one another in love, not because what you're getting, but because what you have the opportunity to give. And he said, it's all, the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, love your neighbor as yourself. So that, again, uh, strengthens, establishes what he's saying about serving one another fulfills uh, the law, but serving one another. He said, when you do that, you won't bite, you won't devour one another. Being a part of a community that really does that, a family that really, really loves one another. And um, the other, the passage that I've been meditating, a couple things I've been meditating on this week. (laughs) One is in Genesis, you know, the book of beginnings. Just going back to the beginning. What is uh, our beginning? Why are we? How did, why did God create man? And what was their destiny in the beginning? So I went back to Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. That's literally what it means. And uh, as I was looking at it, uh, the Lord just began to, to stir some things in my heart. But before I go there, I want to read another passage. Uh, John chapter 17. Remember John 1, he said, To those who believe in me, I give you the right to become children of God. John 17, 3. John 3, we know very well, right? 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. With John 17, 3, we most, most of us are familiar with John 17. It's where Jesus was praying. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. 
in John chapter 17. You know, we talk about uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. No, that was, his, that was Jesus giving his disciples a, a model. It wasn't him necessarily saying, this is how you pray every time. He was saying, here's what you need to understand. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, set apart be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the things that he steps through in that prayer, he was saying, this is a consciousness of God, who he is, of what his desire is for us on the earth, and that's what, to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. That's our privilege and our responsibility is to see his kingdom come on the earth. And Tina mentioned earlier about the days that we live in, you know, uh, to see what's going on in the world. And we go, you know, you can look in Matthew, in the end of Matthew, and he talks about when you start seeing these things, uh, it's getting close to the second coming of the Son of Man. And I don't know where your eschatology is. I don't know where your theology on end times is. As I've grown in the Lord, mine has kind of developed and, and changed a little bit. But no matter where your position is, whether you believe in the rapture or not, whether you believe um, how things are, are going to end up, if we're going to be here and he's going to come while we're here co-reigning with him, the, e- either way, the Word of God says that until he comes, we're supposed to be about our Father's business. <laughs> we're supposed to be establishing his kingdom on the earth. I do not believe that we've been appointed for wrath. I think the word is clear in saying that those who believe in him were not appointed for wrath. It doesn't mean it won't get ugly before we get out. But the wrath of God, when it talks about the judgment of God in the last days being poured out on the earth, that's not for the church. There are multiple scriptures that talk about that's not for the church. But what is the church's responsibility is that while we're here is that we manifest his kingdom on the earth. That's what we are called to do, is to manifest his kingdom on the earth while we're here. And John 17 says this, verse 3, This is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is not, I get to go to heaven, I'm going to hang on till Jesus comes to rescue me. Eternal life is that I know him, the one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We've talked about this before. So eternal life, what we have is not one day I'm in heaven. It's right now I have a relationship with him on the earth. That's eternal life. And he said, that's what I want you to know. So thinking about that, what, did it look, what is it supposed to look like for us to have a relationship with him on the earth? And that's what took me back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. It says this, verse 7. Chapter 1, we know the creation story, and I might go back and allude to that a little bit. But the Lord's desire from the beginning has been for life, for us, abundance for us, intimacy with us. We see that from beginning. So we can look. So what I'm saying is this. If we look at Genesis and establish how God intended it from the beginning, and we say that Jesus made all things new, that he restored relationship back with God, it's safe to say then that what we see in Genesis, we should be seeing now. Right? That was God's original intent and design. Just because man sinned, it wasn't like God said, okay, I'm done. My design wasn't any good. That's not it at all. What God is saying, man messed up. But it didn't thwart because Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So it didn't catch God off guard. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he says this. 
Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. Now a river flowed out of, the, out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havla, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. <laughs> like they needed to tell us that. The gold of that land is good. The bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord said, the Lord God said, and, and I like how Katie brought this out. The Lord God, the Lord God said, this is Jehovah Elohim said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, helper suitable for him. So going back, this is in Genesis 1, we see how God created everything in six days. It was the last day he created man. He formed him of dust of the ground. He breathed in his nostrils. That's what it says right here in chapter, seven, chapter 2, verse 7. He picks up there. And so what I've been meditating on this week is this reality. If this is how God created in the beginning, this was God's desire and design for man. And now we've been born from above. We're children of God. You could safe to say that Adam, the word says that he was the firstborn man. First created man, not born. First created man. Jesus was the firstborn of many brethren. Um, he brought us into relationship, restored relationship with God. But looking at Genesis, God formed man, and he says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath literally means the spirit of life. God breathed in man the spirit of life. I like this because when Jesus resurrected in John, what did he do? He gathered his disciples together, and it says he breathed on them before he ascended. He breathed on them. So what did God do? He put back into man the spirit of life because men were spiritually dead. When, when Adam and Eve took of the tree, they spiritually died. They were separated in their spirit from God. That's why Corinthians says he who's joined himself to the Lord is one spirit again with the Lord. And this is so important because in this day, everything is, there's a lot of turmoil in the earth right now. It seems like right can be said is wrong, up is down. Uh, all these things that we see and the scripture said it, this is the way it'll be before the Lord comes back. So how are we supposed to be in this? I believe what God is desiring is for us to carry that, our first stature, our first nature and how he created us to. When we walk in this place of intimacy and peace with him, and as we do, we'll release that in those around us. We'll have that to give. And we won't always be needing to receive. 
Because I really believe that this gathering, this corporate gathering, is not supposed to be about you sitting there looking here and me sitting here saying here. It's supposed to be a coming together of his body where each part, the person does its part. Just like when we stopped and we prayed for Marie and we prayed for Ellen, we should have such an environment that when we come in, that we know that we're not just here to do a thing, to, to plug into a system but they were here to be a part of a body that every joint supplies. That's what it says. Every joint supplies. But we've created systems that says, no, there's one that supplies, and we come and we receive from him, and then we leave, and hopefully we'll be better when we go. That's not the original intent that God created us to be. He told Adam and Eve, I've, I've blessed you. Now, I want you to subdue the earth, bring it into subjection to what I've placed in you, and that's the where we're supposed to live from, from that place. Because Jesus restored all things, correct? He said, it is finished. He restored back to us everything that was ours to walk as sons of God on the earth, just as Adam did. And we can go back to chapter 1, and you can see, he said, I've given you authority. Not just that. Think about this. He told Adam, he brought all the animals before Adam. He said, whatever you call them, that's what they'll be called. Now, if, if God said, I want you to walk in that position of being a son, and we see it throughout the scriptures, that he said, I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't do, know what his master's doing. Do we serve? Absolutely. We serve out of love, just like Galatians says we're supposed to serve one another. I don't serve my wife because I'm a slave to my wife in the literal sense that she owns me and that she could sell me. I serve my wife because I'm so full of his love, I can serve like he served. Because what did Jesus do at the Last Supper? What did he do? He what? He washed the disciples' feet. It says he took off his outer garment, he girded himself with a towel, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Who washes feet in a house? The servant, not the head of the house. He has a servant to wash his guest's feet when they came in. But Jesus said, there's none greater than me. But, I, but I've come to set an example for you that when you understand who you are, you can serve out of love. And you can serve those who don't deserve it. Because in that, there was one who was going to betray him. Think about that. Think about washing the feet of someone you knew was going to go out and betray you. But being so full of the love of God that you know that what they do has no bearing on who you are, what your purpose and destiny is. That we can really love people that way. That's why Jesus said, if I've done this, then you ought to do it. Now, Jesus wasn't establishing that every Sunday when we come together, we should wash one another's feet. But what he was saying is every time you come together, you should serve someone in this manner. That it's not about what you're coming to get, but the realizing that there might be someone that you need to serve in that service. Someone that you might need to love in that service. So what does that look like practically? So what if it looks like this? A single mother comes in with two or three kids 
And instead of looking, going, I wish you'd get those kids out under control, going over and go, hey, can I help one with one? Can I hold this one? Or just start talking to the kid, helping the mother out, instead of going, man, I wish she would use the nursery. Is this too practical? I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, the Lord, what the Lord is doing on the inside of my heart, I can talk about, I don't want this system that we've always had, that it looks this way, that it's polished and it's perfect, and I'm not against, I'm 100% for excellence, but not to the expense that where we have to feed it people to keep it moving. And we still, we come in empty and we leave empty, and we don't realize the value that's in the seats around us and make room for that value. Did we stop serving out of love and expect to come and be served all the time? Because Jesus said, if I know how to serve, you ought to do the same thing. This isn't a push to get volunteers. I'm just talking about us authentically coming in. Because Galatians 5 said, if we don't know how to serve one another and really love one another, the alternative to that is, you know what you do? You bite and devour. Any ever been, anybody ever been bitten in church? So we know the opposite is true. Right? And so let's get back to this. The Lord God planted a garden to the east in Eden. And the very word Eden means pleasure. Pleasure. So God's desire and intent for us was to live in a place of pleasure with him. Not that pleasure is our God, but living with God should bring pleasure. <laughs> Amen. Okay. The God formed man from dust and ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. The Lord God planted a garden. How about that? The Lord God planted a garden for man. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Uh, uh, okay, out of, out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now there flowed a river out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. Uh, the second is... Um, I just lost it. Gihon. The third is Tigris. And the fourth is the Euphrates. So flowing out of pleasure to water the garden that God made and put man in the midst of it, there were four rivers. The first river, Pishon, it means this, increase. The second river means bursting forth. The third, rapid. And the fourth, fruitfulness. So God made a garden. He put man, and that word put, it literally means God picked him up and sat him in the garden. Think about that. The Bible talks about Elisha being called up, and Elisha, the one that was picked up by the nap of his hair. So God made man, right? He made him. He made creation, he made man, and then he made a garden, and he picked man up and sat him in the garden. We're going to go into that in just a moment. 
He sat him, he placed him in the garden. And it said, uh, this garden that God made and that he put man in, there were four rivers coming in, and these rivers were increase, bursting forth, rapid fruitfulness. So what do you think God's idea for man was in that position? To struggle and toil? No, it was increase, bursting forth, rapid fruitfulness. Those are the rivers he was supplying his garden with. Right? You think that's coincidental? I don't think so. I think God was saying, if we'll understand. So if we can, can, if we can mentally, because spiritually we've already been there, placed there. So if we can get our mind and our soul, mind, will, and emotions connected with what God has said he wants for us, his design hasn't changed for man. Now, he's not going to pick us up and put us back in the Garden of Eden geographically, but he desires that we live from that place, from our spirit, because we're born from above, and we're born from a place of fruitfulness. And if last time I checked in heaven, he said that the gold in this first city, he said it was good gold. It was good gold. And if I'm not mistaken, in heaven, they walk on gold. And we're seated there. Correct? We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Correct? Yes, that's correct. So if we're seated in a place that the gold is under the, is the street that they walk on, and he's saying here that this first place, that this river of increase it filled, what it filled was a place that had gold, the bdellium, which some say is a pearl, and onyx stone. They were all there. This river flowed in this place, and it was full of those things. That sounds pretty much like increase to me. If you're living in a place that's full of gold, if you buy uh, a plot of land and go outside and dig, and there's a nugget as big as this podium, I would say that's increase. I say you're in pretty good shape. So he said, this is my desire for you. Is this that everybody that calls themselves Christian is supposed to be rich? <laughs> yes, if we understand what true wealth is. And I believe it's not either. Or. I don't believe it's just rich in relationship, rich in, in relationship with God. I think God, as, we, as he is the God of our lives, he'll trust us with resources on this earth. It, this is how God originally, because I've been meditating. I'm saying, God, what are we supposed to look like in this day? What are we supposed to be living from in this day? And he said, go back to Genesis. This is my original design for men. And just because man sinned, it doesn't mean that God threw away his design. God did 2.0 through Jesus. He did, now, we're, now we're both human and supernatural and spiritual. Adam had dominion on the earth, but didn't have authority to go into heaven. We, being born from the last Adam, are on the earth and have authority here as men, but we're also seated in heaven in Christ. We have dual citizenship. We're on earth and in heaven. Okay, and this is how we're to be living. So again, the rivers that, that fed this place was increase, busting forth rapid fruitfulness. 
Verse 15, then the Lord God took, the word took there means to lay hold of, to snatch away the man. And he took man, and it literally means it's Adam, the word Adam, and it can mean mankind. So God's intent, it wasn't just to put a man in this garden. His intent was to take mankind and place them there. And this is where we're supposed to live from, from his garden. And I think as New Testament born-again believers, we can tap into that garden. We can live from that heavenly garden, not be tied to this earthly world. But a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So we have to not just see it. We have to believe it and live from that place. And that's what he's, his desire for us is as believers. And if we live from that place of abundance, not lack, we live from a place of abundance, then when people come in who have need, then we can give, whether it be physical, financial, uh, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is. You say physical? Yeah, we can pray for healing. Financial, we can sow into them. Emotional, we can encourage and walk with them. And that is not just pray for them right here, but that's walk with them, check up with them. I, I want to challenge us that we prayed for, for Marie, we prayed for Ellen. So this week, don't just go, well, we prayed for them. This week, check up with them. Is that foreign? This week, check up with them. Say, hey, I didn't just pray for you on Sunday, but I'm walking with you today. How many of that, that would be discouraging to you if somebody just checked to tell you they love you and wanted to see how you're doing? Okay, just want to make sure I was talking to the right people. Yeah, Jay. <laughs> he said he took man and he put him into the garden. The word put there, it literally means this, to cause to rest. God picked up Adam, and he caused him to rest in the garden. What garden? The garden that God built. What was going on in this garden? There were four rivers fulfilling filling this garden. And in the first river, it went to a place where there was gold, pearls, and black onyx. And the gold was good. Yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an imitation. It wasn't fool's gold. It was real gold. Pure gold. He said the gold was good. So he took the man, he put him into the garden. And that word garden there means enclosed garden. So just think about that. God placed them in a garden where he encircled them. The word garden literally means an enclosed garden. So who has you? If you're in the garden of God, who has you? He does. Just as we started with Tina, started with Psalms 121. I look to the hills from where, where my help comes from. Where does my help come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. She had no idea what I was going to share today. And she started out, opened up the service, talking about our God, where our help comes from, is the maker of heaven and earth. And this God made a garden. And what I'm saying is, physically, we're not in that garden, but I believe spiritually we can visit that garden. <laughs> I think we, if God created it for us, we still have access to it. But 
you say, well, I haven't encountered it. That doesn't mean that it's not there for you. The garden enclosed and enclosed garden. That to me was powerful. The word literally means enclosed, encircled. And again, the word Eden means pleasure. The word cultivate there, it means to serve. And the word keep means to guard. So God picked Adam up. He created a place of pleasure for him. He had plenty of uh, supply coming to it. And then he said, I'm going to put you in a position of rest from where you can serve. This is everything about where I'm going today. When we understand who we are, we understand how we're loved. We can be in a position of rest even when we serve. And you know what? When we understand those things, we'll want to serve because we won't need others to fill us because we're full. It doesn't mean that there's never a time where we don't need encouragement. That's why, that's the importance of a body. Every joint supplying that we come together and we get encouraged, that we get supplied through his life in others. But he placed Adam, he created a garden, Eden, pleasure. He supplied it with these rivers of increase, busting forth rapid fruitfulness. And he said, I'm going to cause you to rest, but in that place of rest, you can serve. This is huge. Because when you're truly at rest in who you are, you're truly at rest in who he is, then you can serve one another just like Galatians talks about. Because when I shared that last week, it was stirring so big on the inside of me. If we don't understand his love for us and that we are one with him and we're living from that place where we're not trying to work up love, it doesn't say God does love, it says God is love. So if we, as we, not if, as we grab that revelation of his love, as we live from that place of rest, because Before Jesus did anything, when he was baptized, it says he came up out of the water. The heavens were rent. We don't have to pray for God to rend the heavens and come down. The heavens were were rent, and the dove came and rested upon him. And then God said something. What did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What had Jesus done up until that point? What we have record of that Jesus had done is he went to, uh, to Jerusalem with his family. They left, and they lost Jesus. Mary and Joseph, they left town. Je- Jesus, where was he? He was in the temple. And he was teaching the scholars. He was about his father's business. At 12 or 13 years old, Jesus was in the temple. He was teaching, but when his parents found him three days later... They went a day's journey, but it took them three days to find him. Can you imagine that three days? Especially as Mary. The angel came to her and said, I'm giving you, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. He's going to save the world. And then Mary lost him. <laughs> Let's not be so religious and spiritual that we miss that. I mean, sweet Lord. 
Mary lost. Can you imagine that three days? I, I just, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I lost your son. <laughs> but they get back and they find Jesus. He's there and he's teaching. And the scholars were amazed at how he taught. And then the next thing that we hear about Jesus is, is this. We pick up where Jesus comes in. And so he hadn't, hadn't done anything to gain approval. He was approved because of his relationship with the Father. And the same thing is true for us. The same thing, as we understand that, not as a biblical understanding uh, that we acknowledge, but absolutely a truth that we live from. That we're placed in that place of rest, in His pleasure. And you know, God didn't create man to work. He created man to have communion with man. And he said, when he created man, he said, it's not good that this man is alone. Think about that. Everything God created, and we've heard this before, everything God created, he said it was good. But he looked at man, and he said, he doesn't have one like him. That's not good. And it says, when he created the woman, it said, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, I will make him a helper suitable for him. And uh, let me look at that. I don't want to say it wrong. The word suitable, it doesn't mean behind, it doesn't mean under. Where did Eve come from? She came from Adam's side, from his rib. The word suitable literally means this, what is in front of, before, straightforward, before your face, in view of, in your view. So God created a man, a woman out of man and put, him right in, put her right in front of him. Not to walk in front of him, but that was right there. So conspicuous, he said, this is someone just like you to do life with. Not under your feet, not in your shadow, but he said, I'm going to put her right in front of you so you don't miss it. Men should say thank God for that. Because it is so true. Gail brought this to my attention, and I didn't realize it, how much I did it until Gail brought it to my attention years ago. But she talked about how men will scan something and say, it's not here. And women are detail-oriented. They'll look through the rack. Men will just go. They'll open the cupboard. They'll look. The wife says, go get the sugar. They'll open it, and they'll go, it's not here. And they'll close it. And the wife will go open the cupboard and go, here it is. <laughs> Ever happened to any of the men? Tyler, you don't even have to raise your hand. <laughs> I've been there when Tyler did. It's not here. Brianna said, it's right here beside of this, right there. He go, oh. <laughs> Tina's done the same thing to me. So God said, man, I'm not going to let you miss her. I'm going to put her right in front of you. She's right here, right in front of you. You can't miss her. He can't go, God, what'd you do with that woman? She's right here, right in front of you. 
for you to love and for her to be part of what you're doing right here on the earth. He said, I'll make her suitable uh, for you right in front of you. In the word helper there, it literally means to help. One who helps, one who comes alongside to help. Sounds a little bit like the Holy Spirit. God's original design for us was not to do this thing alone. Whether you have a mate or not, God said, it's not my intention for you to do this alone. That's why Jesus said, it's imperative that I go away in John 15, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the helper can't come. The one who's going to be right beside you and walk with you. Who's going to accompany you in this life. That's what God's desire for us is, to walk that way with him and with one another. He said, but I've placed in the midst of this a tree. He said, um, verse 9, he said, the tree of life is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know, uh, it says in verse 16, he said, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree, and that word any means all, the whole, totality, any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil you will not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And the, uh, the word there, eat, means to consume, to devour, to consume. He said, any tree you can consume, but not the one of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day that you do you will surely die. So God told Adam that. He said, I'm going to give you all these trees to eat from, but there's this one I don't want you to eat from, the knowledge of good and evil. And what I've seen, I've shared this not too long ago, John Kellogg, when he was here, he shared it, that there's still the tree. We still have the opportunity, not in that garden, we have the opportunity to eat from either of those trees, the tree of life, which is Jesus, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, what we're doing is we're deciding in our sight what is right and wrong, who is good and who is bad. Is there right and is there wrong? Yes, there absolutely is. The word, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in the last days, people call right wrong. <laughs> there is right. There is truth that we should be living by. But when we are constantly eating of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, then we become judge and we determine who's right, who's wrong, what's right, what's wrong. Again, this sound, can sound contradictory. I'm not saying that there isn't an absolute truth and an absolute right. There is. But when we're constantly eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then we set ourselves up as judge and we judge everyone instead of loving them out of the tree of life. And when we love them, loving them doesn't mean that I condone their sin. Loving them means I'll tell them the truth about their sin. See, that's what I'm saying. When we eat the knowledge of, of good and evil, we'll make good bad and bad good. We'll say it's bad to tell someone that you're in sin and this sin is going to cause death in your life. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to immediately die. It doesn't mean that, that God hates you. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is this. When I truly love someone, I'll tell them the truth. Amen. And I, when I eat from the knowledge of good and evil, then I set myself up to be their judge, to be their jury. Instead of saying, no, I'm going to eat from the tree of life, and I'm going to come to them in love and tell them, I love you enough to tell you this. I'm not judging them and saying, you're going to do this, you're going to end up here. What I'm saying is, this is what this can do in your life, and I love you enough to tell you that. 
that looks a lot different than judgment. It's a lot different than condemnation. Condemnation says you're no good. You're not worthy. Love says you're bigger than this. You're better than this. See, and if we, as we really learn to receive his love to us that way, then we can really love one another that way. I, I want people in my life who love me enough to tell me the truth. I don't want people, I don't want people in my life who will tell me what I want to hear so that I'll like them or love them or feel good about myself when I've believed a lie. That's not healthy. Do we believe that? But to have people who love me enough to tell me the truth, they're not trying to devour me. What they're, what they're doing is they're coming, they're humbling themselves and saying, look, I love you enough to say, this isn't a safe place for you. I'm going to love you the same. And see, that's the, that's the hard part because here's what we want to do. We want to, be, we want to eat from the knowledge of good and evil, which goes to them and says, look, this is, it, looks, it can look similar. This isn't healthy, and I don't want you to be there. And if they say, well, I'm just not there yet, I'm not free yet, well, the knowledge of good and evil goes, well, then I can't have anything to do with you. The tree of life says, I won't condone it, but I won't walk away either. I'll love you. This is what this looks like. This is what this can cause in your life. And I want you to know that it hurts my heart for you to do that. But I won't, I won't turn my back on you. I won't get in it with you, but I'm not leaving you. I'll walk with you. I'll be here. If you need me, I'm here. And you know what? If we're not full of his love, we can't do that. You know why? Because we may not get the love from them that we think we should because we love them so much. And we don't receive that love back from them. We'll feel rejected. We'll feel abused. We'll feel all, you, you just, whatever, whatever adjective you want to add to it, you add to it because my fulfillment's not coming from him, it's coming from them. And them accepting that I love them that much. That's not what we see in Jesus' life. Jesus loved him enough to say, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part with me. And when many left from following, he looked through his 12 and said, you going to go too? Because he knew how easy it was to be swayed. And they said, Lord, we, there's nowhere else we can go. You're the only one who has the words of life. You're the only one. So my heart for us as a family, as a body, is to understand and to meditate on that reality of God's heart for us. And as we live from that place, then we can do what Galatians 5, 13 through 16 says. We will walk in the Spirit. We will love one another. We won't devour and bite one another. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that when we're going through something that we won't respond the wrong way. It doesn't mean that we'll always respond perfectly or correctly. But what it means is this. Even when I respond wrong, you love me. <laughs> and that we love one another. And in that true place of love that we can serve one another. Because God created us to know his love. He's provided for us to encounter that love. And as we do, we can live from that, from that love. Because 
I mean, if we believe God is love, if we believe that we're one with him, then who are we? We're love. Right? We're not loving to get loved. We're loving because we are love. So we can love the unlovely. And that's not just here. So all of that, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. I firmly believe, as I've been just praying and spending time with the Lord, when, as we embrace this love for Him and for one another, it makes room for others. So it's not just us focused. So my heart for our family is not that we just have this small gathering of people that come together and they just love each other and there's no expression of that love outside of here. Now, I believe as we encounter his love and we know his love and we really love one another well, people will want to know what it is that we have and we'll have opportunity to share that love with them. And that could be in the workplace. It doesn't necessarily have to be. I'm not against this. I'm not saying we, don't, we won't do this. It doesn't have to be an evangelistic crusade where we say we're going to go blanket this neighborhood. We're going to go knock on every door. But when we start being love, manifesting the love that we are in our workplace and with the people we come in contact with, instead of being short and snooty and, and offendable, we start becoming unoffendable because of the love that we've received of the Father and we live that love, that wherever we go, people want to know, man, there's something different about you. People will actually be attracted to you when you carry and release the love of God. And it's not because you're working for it. It's not because you're trying to be evangelistic. It's just because of the reality of His love that we are a part of comes out just as Jesus when he walked the earth, he walked in such love. Caught the, they brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. And what did he do? Did he say, your adultery is okay, just don't get stoned? No. He said, who here is guilt is, is sinless? You throw the first stone. And then when he looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? She said, there aren't any. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. He said, where are your condemners, your accusers? He said, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. He released her. But he said, don't do the same things you've done because they'll get you right back here. That's real love. That's real love. And, and I believe as we encounter this real love in new levels, it's not that you haven't. I'm not... I'm not talking down. I'm talking. I'm telling you what the Lord is saying in my heart, what he's stirring on the inside of me. As we really start encountering this love, not just mentally ascending to it, but encountering his love. And he wants us to encounter it. Again, Paul said, I don't know any man after the flesh. God doesn't want us to heap up a bunch of facts that we can regurgitate when people ask us, do we know God? He, he made us in his image. I read that. He created man in his image. His int uh, original intent was that we subdue the earth and, and uh, have dominion over it. That our words are powerful because as I started, I, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. He told Adam, whatever you call it, that's what it'll be. So if Adam would have called a tiger a giraffe, it would be a giraffe today. And in our mind, that sounds funny. Because we know it to be what it is. But when he said it, 
Whatever he called it, that's what it was. That same power, death and life is in the power of our tongue. So when we look at someone and we call them this or we call them that, then who are we agreeing with? Are we agreeing with the tree of of life or are we agreeing with the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What are we releasing with our words? Because death and life is in the power of the tongue. And we have the ability to release life in every situation. That doesn't mean agreement. It means life in every situation. And that was what Adam walked in. That's what we're supposed to walk in as being in the image of God, being one with Christ. We walk in that same place of authority. God's original intent and desire was to commune with man and for man to walk in a place of authority on the earth out of his love, not out of a need to be the man, but out of a position of being the man and living and loving Encountering God from that place. Because God walked with man in the cool of the day. In the garden that he made. That he encircled man with. That he placed man in. And said, be at rest. So what the Lord has been showing me in my life. And this is my third closing. What the Lord has been showing me in my life is those areas that I'm striving to do something. I need to step back and look and say, all right, God. Am I serving you or am I striving in myself? That doesn't mean he put Adam there to what? To serve and to cultivate, to tend the garden. There are things that we're going to serve in. There are things that we're going to cultivate in. But if it's an area of my life that I'm constantly striving in, I need to be man enough, son of God enough to step back and go, is this something I'm trying to make happen, God? Or is this something that you're saying that there's resistance from? Can there be resistance from the enemy? Absolutely. And the way that I know the difference and differentiate the difference is, am I at rest on the inside of me? God's intent and design didn't change. He created man and he put him in a place of rest from where he would serve. So if I'm at rest in my identity, if I'm at rest in my love for him, then it doesn't mean that there won't be things that, I, that come against me, but it means even in that place, I can be in a position of rest. And if I can just be transparent, the Lord has been showing me so much to where I've been striving in an area and not being in a position of rest. And he said, Todd, this is something you've been trying to make happen. It's not what I told you to do. And see, I believe as we, as a family, as a church body, as we grow into that, then the ministry that should take place among a family will take place not out of striving or not out of compulsion where someone says, you need to do this or you need to do this, but because we're so full, then out of love and out of rest, we begin to serve. And I believe, I really believe that true callings, true giftings that are inside of us that are locked up. Because we've been striving to do something instead of living from who we are. Those things begin to unlock. And we start serving out of love. And we serve one another. And then we'll serve outside of the doors. And this building wouldn't hold a body that learns how to do that well. Because we're not coming to be affirmed. We're coming to love. We're not coming just to be taught a new word. We're coming to share what God's sharing with us. Anybody ever been excited about something you just wanted to tell somebody about it? It could be your new toy. It could be whatever. It could be a revelation God gave you. You get excited about it and you want to share it. 
That's where we're supposed to live from. That's where we're supposed to live, that we're walking that relationship with him, that we want to share it, that when we come together here, we're excited to come on Sunday morning. We don't have to. We don't drag ourselves here. That can that happen sometime? Absolutely can. But we come because we know that what God's doing on the inside of us, he's got to be doing on the inside of someone else because they're a son too. Then when we come together, it's just dynamite. That's attractive. That's healthy. And so then we serve from that place. And we serve one another. Whether we have a position or a title, we love well, we serve well. And here's what I know. Every time I've done that, I've seen Jesus manifest. When I've loved well and I've served well, Jesus will show up. And it doesn't have to be in a Sunday morning service. It's wherever. When I love well and I serve well, Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, everything changes. Amen. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather today corporately, Lord God. We, we don't take this for granted. But we continue to press into, we look into Genesis, Lord, and we see your original intent, design and desire for man was to walk with you. That wasn't theoretical. That was literal, to walk with you. You created a garden and encircled them. God, I thank you that we're hedged about. You're before, behind, above and below us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here corporately together, to love one another, to pray one for another. God, I thank you for what you're doing in your body today. Not just this local fellowship called the river, but what you're doing in your body today. Thank you that we have an opportunity to live in a day such as this where you, Jesus, can be made famous in the earth. Lord, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. We commit this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen.